Good morning. If you're visiting us, uh, especially a good morning to you. It's great to have you with us. Let's pray together and ask for God's help before we start. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for this morning. Thank you for the sun that's shining. Thank you for your kindness toward us in so many ways. Thank you for your word before us. We pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray, God, that you would be at work in our hearts for the sake of your name. Amen. So think with me uh, for a minute about life as a story. Life as a story. The real world is a story, the world we live in. And it's an incredible story. It has diverse and complex characters, good guys and bad guys. It's true to life because it is life. It's full of wonder and mystery. Take a look at nature, ponder humans for a while. It has all the range of emotions that make for every epic tale, doesn't it? Victories, defeats, adventure, suspense, drama, romance, dismay, betrayal, pain, hope. I'm not saying it's make-believe. I'm not saying we can make it up ourselves. I'm saying it's a story, that life is a story, because life is going somewhere. There's a start to the universe, an end, and within and above and through it all, there is meaning and a purpose. The real world is a story where God is the author, not plain chance, not cold determinism. It's a most dynamic story. We are actors on his stage and whether we are working with or against him, we're in it. And even with our real choices, because of his infinite wisdom and power, the story mysteriously moves unstoppably towards his own good intended end. There is more wonder in this story of life than in any other story that's ever been written. In fact, the reason why other stories have traction at all is because they tap into and echo God's story. Real life human love comes first because God wove it in and a good story taps into it. Sacrificial, costly love, love that is committed and unwavering, moves us because this is the love at the heart of the universe. The love of God for a sinful world. Why do I start this way this morning? I start this way because today's scripture reminds us, teaches us, shows us about one of the most exciting and significant moments in the story of our world. For us, it'll be looking back in time. And for them, it was present tense. These guys have been following Jesus for about three years. Jesus is this phenomenal miracle worker and unmatchably insightful teacher of God's truth. He's almost certainly the biggest celebrity of his day. He's gathering massive crowds wherever he goes. At times, he's unable to eat because of the pressing crowds and he's drawing people from all over the land of Israel. And just a couple of days ago, he's been brutally, unjustly and publicly executed in broad daylight at probably the busiest time in the most important city in Israel. And these guys thought that Jesus was about to bring a great revolution, 
probably political and religious. And now it's the third day since he's died. But now there are rumours that he's come back from the dead and is alive. The tomb was empty. Angels appeared and said he has risen. And that doesn't happen every day. And he's even appeared to some of the original followers. And we pick up the story today with these guys huddled in a house somewhere talking together about these matters. And then Jesus himself appears in their midst. And they're shocked and frightened, the text says. And you don't blame them, do you? It's alarming that Jesus just shows up and greets them. Three days ago, he's dead. And he says, peace, shalom. And then Jesus shows them that it's really him and that he really rose. It's a real body. His hands, look at my hands, my feet are still marked from the nails. It's really me. Then he gives more proof. And so he asks for some food and he eats it right there in front of them. What have you got to eat? He says, this is, this is no magic trick. This is a legit resurrection. That's what, that's what he's communicating. It's really me, same body, and I came back a real body. It's true. It's a real resurrection. But then Jesus says something super important. This is what he says. He says this, this is what's happening right here in, in your midst. This right here, right now, these events is just what I told you would happen. In fact, these things that have happened, me dying and rising, are the point of the Holy Scriptures. The whole story of Israel, all of her history, in fact, all of the history of the world, has been moving towards this moment. All the events, all the acts of God in the past, all the heroes of the faith, all the sacrifices, all the rituals, all the sacred writings, all about me. And it's all just being fulfilled. The perfect king you were waiting for is here which means the justice and freedom you longed for has arrived. The sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice for sin has been slain, which means your sins can be forever forgiven and the way back to paradise has been opened. This means the victory over sin, death and the devil, the biggest enemies, has been won. I, right now, in your midst, am the hope of Israel. I am the hope of the world. It's like you've been watching the most epic trilogy and at the end of the final film, right in the final scenes, one of the main characters reveals something totally out of left field and says, this is what this whole story has been about. And at first you think, huh? And then someone explains it to you, the way that it works, and all of a sudden you see it and you get it. And all the mystery of the story starts to fall into place all the threads suddenly start to tie and you go, ah, this is this moment with Jesus and the disciples. But the difference is it's not a made up story. It's the story of the world we live in. It's the real story of the real world of this life. And it's the story that we are all still in. This is how it works with Jesus and the scriptures. The information in the scriptures has always been there, but Jesus is the key to understand it. 
Jesus says the scriptures talk about God's chosen one suffering, dying, right? How was that there? This was always there. How? How, we might ask? Well, in the pattern of the righteous sufferer. David, for example, is a righteous sufferer. He doesn't do anything wrong, but he's chased by Saul. He has this period of suffering before he's exalted to glory as the king. Job also follows the same pattern. He's the righteous man who shouldn't have suffered and yet does. But in the end, he's restored. The Bible is full, in fact, of righteous sufferers, stories of poverty to riches, stories of uh, great reversals. And they're all shadows preparing the way for Jesus, who is the righteous sufferer, who has the ultimate reversal from death to life. We could also add that there are Israel's sacrifices, animals dying in the place of another, but never quite being a proper swap. We could add the story of Isaac, who's almost sacrificed by Abraham and yet spared when God provides a sheep in his place. And so Jesus is the substitute, the substitute, the lamb who dies. And therefore he knew that he, as the Christ, would need to die. There are even explicit prophecies like Isaiah 53 that speak about the servant of the Lord. That's Jesus, the coming king, who would be crushed, died, killed for the sins of others. And so the scriptures prepare the way. It's always been written there. The Messiah will die, but he will also rise, Jesus says. And we've seen this pattern of suffering to glory in David and Job, just as I've mentioned now already. But there's more. Jonah, for example, spends three days in the belly of the fish. He's as good as dead. But he rises after three days when he spat out of the waters of death, comes out of the waters of death onto the shore. It's like he's come back to life. Noah is another example. He passes through the waters, sorry, the judgment waters of death, and he comes through like a new creation on the other side. That's what feels like the story restarts in Genesis 6. Just like, uh, or Genesis 9, rather, just like Israel, as uh, another uh, final example, uh, through the Red Sea, they travel through the judgment waters of death that swallow the Egyptians, and they come out safe on the other side. And these are all through death to life patterns that the scripture has. And Jesus literally passes through the real waters of death and comes through on the other side alive. Of course, that's what was needed, wasn't it, from the very beginning of the story? Because the greatest problem of the story that we're in, the story of the world, is that sin and death entered the world in the third chapter. And we've been looking for a resolve to this problem ever since. This is the great problem of life. Death. This is the big enemy that needs defeating. And once you've found the answer to this, you've found the answer to life. And this is Jesus. And this is what the scriptures were always telling. Someone's going to come and they're going to fix the problem of death and sin and separation from God. And so when this death and life has happened, this has happened in your midst. Jews and Christians, you might be surprised to know, have got the same scriptures. One group sees the life, death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus in those scriptures. And one group doesn't. Same text, different vision. And it's not just biological either. There are actually Christian Jews. 
And that makes perfect sense because Christianity is their religion. He is their Christ. But what's the difference between us? What's the difference between the two groups? I'll, I'll say two things. One is grace. God has opened the eyes of one group. Just like we see Jesus doing here in, in our text where he, he opened the minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Just like the men last week and that we've heard about uh, this morning already on the road to Emmaus uh, who couldn't see Jesus and then they had their eyes opened. We have eyes in our hearts and those eyes can either be blind or open. It reminds me of the way that Kanye West described uh, how he said, somebody asked him, how do you know you've become a Christian or what, what, what's happened to you? And he said, well, it, it's like I woke up and then I look back and realize that I've been asleep. And that's what it's like for the believer. It's like your eyes have been opened and now you can see and you say, hold on a second. Before I couldn't see, now I can see. And now when I read the scriptures, Jesus is everywhere. It's not something that we've done. It's something that God has done. And what's the second difference? I think the second difference, I think this is a bit of a clue, is how we think of ourselves. And it's a clue to whether we'll accept Jesus or not. If we see ourselves as desperate sinners in need of a saviour, we are more likely to see. But if we see ourselves as doing okay, not really needing a saviour, doing pretty good, thanks, I think we probably won't see. If we see God as holy and pure and powerful and righteous, then again, I think we're more likely to see. But if we don't, we probably won't. The Bible says, and this is the Jewish scriptures and Christian scriptures, that God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So true knowing starts in the heart and it starts with humility and with trembling at a holy God. Anyone can enter the kingdom door. That could be you. But the challenge is that it's a low door and many don't want to humble themselves to get through. Why not ask God, if that's you and you're thinking about it, with humility and sincerity to reveal himself to you? Genuinely. God says if you seek him, you'll find him. And if you are listening to this message, I know that you can know God if you really desire. And this may feel harsh to say, but perhaps the reason you don't know him is because you don't really want to. This is the first point we've seen in today's text. Jesus is the fulfillment of all Israel's hopes. Jesus is this massive, epochal, climactic, pivotal moment in the story of the world. But then Jesus says something in verse 47 that grabs our attention. The story is not over. Going back to our trilogy analogy, it is the end of the story, but it's also the beginning. It's as though the person says, by the way, there's actually three more books to come. This is actually the beginning of the end. Jesus says uh, here in our text this morning that the scriptures say, he, he points them back, he's, he's showing them, he says, look, look, this is what was written in the scriptures. They say that the Christ will die, 
rise, those two things have happened. And then a message will be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Jesus is saying we are at a major junction point and now a mission is about to begin. It's as though he says, you remember that promise to Abraham? Remember how he said, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Jesus says, that's happening right now. I am the descendant of Abraham and it's about time now to bless the nations. So I'm going to send you guys out on a mission. This is the beginning of the chapter in which you are going to be key actors. Do you feel this, believer? What a privilege. What a task sent by the king. Jesus says that the task is so exaggerated, so massive, that you need power from heaven to be able to fulfill it. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit of God himself to empower the disciples, to empower believers. He says, wait until you are clothed with power from on high. The task is to proclaim the good news of what Jesus has accomplished for unworthy sinners like us to all the world. Massive task. You need the power of the spirit. Every nation and all kinds of people with all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of problems, Jesus is the healer of them all. Do you see this believer? Every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they all end with mission. Jesus sending them out. Easter always ends with a beginning. Now is not the time to relax. Now is the time for active waiting. Now is the time when Jesus is calling people to himself. Now is the time for forgiveness, new life, relationship with God, the past wiped clean. Now is the time when God is gathering people in for his new creation forever. Now is the time to receive God's gift. And today for us as believers, it's a day to be re-energized and re-envisioned for the mission. Any follower can do it because the power is not in us. We are clay jars holding the treasure of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the power. We could never do it on our own. It's not because it's not about us being great. It's about Jesus being great. We don't preach ourselves as perfect. We preach Jesus as perfect. And what is our message? Jesus summarizes it here in this passage. He says, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed. Right? The disciples are being sent. There's a mission, a task. It's to go to all nations starting in Jerusalem. And he says, this is what's going to be proclaimed. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus summarizing the message there. Let's just take a little bit of time to think about what is that message? What does that mean? What is repentance? Repentance is about turning around. It's about turning around in our thinking. 
For example, what we think about Jesus as saviour and king or not. It's about what we think of ourselves. Am I a sinner who needs a saviour? It's about turning around in our priorities, about moving from me being the centre to God being the centre. It's about turning around in authority, not me in charge of my life, but Jesus in charge. It's about turning around in behaviour, not living my way, how I choose for myself, but about living God's way, how God chooses for God. It's about turning around in reliance, dependence. It's, it's moving from independence, self-reliance, self-sufficient, to being God-dependent, God-reliant in all things. It's about turning around in glory. It's, it's moving it's no longer uh, my name and my fame, but it's Jesus' name and Jesus' fame. And why do we need to turn in this way? We need to turn in this way because a self-centred, self-oriented, self-ruling life is actually killing us. Many, if not most of our troubles are because of our own self-centred living. But not only are they ruining our own lives, they're actually opposed to God and they're storing up wrath for ourselves on the day of God's wrath against stubborn rebels who didn't want his good rule. God is opposed to all those who don't want his rule. Now, repentance may sound like a negative thing to do. You might be thinking, look what I have to give up. But repentance is actually a massive gain. Turning to Jesus is the most liberating thing you will ever find. Perhaps you're fearful. Maybe you're asking, how will God respond? What about his wrath? It's true. God is just and he will punish sin. In fact, it's right that he punished sin. We mustn't think of his justice as a kind of necessary evil. It's actually good and right. Bad people do bad things, and God would not be good if he didn't punish sin, evil. The problem for us is that without Jesus, we're on the wrong side of justice. We long for justice, and justice is good and right, but actually, we're on the wrong side, but we're actually rebels in God's kingdom. We need to get right with God so that his kingdom becomes a good thing. We need our sins removed. We need justice from a mighty holy God to pass us and for us to somehow survive. And that's why Jesus was sent. So it may sound odd, but the safest place to turn when you're in trouble with God is towards God to ask for mercy. God is merciful. He's also merciful and he loves to show mercy to any sinner who will turn and trust in his son. And when you turn, you will discover that God is ready to forgive. In fact, he sent his son so that forgiveness would be possible. Why would he now reject you if you turn to him? Jesus illustrates this and he illustrates it with a story that he's told in Luke earlier. It's about a son who had dishonoured his father by taking the inheritance money early and leaving his father's house. I don't want to live with you, Dad. I want to go my own way. And so he goes away. He spends all his money on licentious living, parties, women, folly. He's a wild kid, basically. Uh, and he ends up broke, 
and in a rough job. But one day he realizes the hole he's got himself into and he comes to his senses and he decides to head back to his dad. And he knows he's blown it and he's thinking on his way back, when he comes back, he'll tell dad how sorry he is and how he'd be happy to just be a servant in his house if only he would take him in. He's humbled and he's coming back expecting little. But Jesus shows us the father's heart in this story. And it's a beautiful illustration. Before the son even gets home, the dad sees him in the distance. And Jesus says the dad was filled with compassion. And the dad starts running towards the boy. Remember, this is Jesus telling the story so we'd understand what God is like. And he embraces the boy. And the boy says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Repentance. And you know what the dad says? Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf. That's the good one. And slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is now alive. He was lost, but he's now found. This is the heart of God for all who would turn back to him. Now, there's one thing that's critical to understand with repentance, and that is that repentance is one move with two parts. The other part is faith. So when we turn and let go of self and hold on to Jesus, it's one move. Right? Get this right. We don't repent and kind of get ourselves sorted, cleaned up, fixed up, and then trust in Jesus. It's one move because repentance is not what saves us. Jesus saves us. And this one move of repentance and faith is what makes Jesus ours. This one move of letting go of self, letting go of self-rule, self-reliance, self-orientation, self-living is in the same moment a grabbing onto Jesus. You can't have one and the other, but we have to have something. And that one move uh, is repentance and faith. And Jesus saves us. So that's repentance. But then Jesus says it's repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, forgiveness of sins is your record of wrongs wiped away. Not because God just forgets about them, but because Jesus pays for them with his own death. That record, all the things listed that you've done wrong ever and will do, paid, now forgiven and erased, gone completely, totally wiped out. Believer, don't keep rewriting what Jesus has erased. Don't keep rewriting what Jesus has erased. But forgiveness is more, it's about more than just the removal of the bad record. The record itself is actually an obstacle to relationship. And so Jesus removes through forgiveness the barrier to relationship with God. And you know how sin gets in the way of human relationships. We know that, right? And how genuine forgiveness restores relationship 
Well, it's the same with God. The real prize is relationship with God. That's why repentance and forgiveness is so good. Did you notice how Jesus' story ends about the son? It ends with a feast. And this is the offer for all people. A feast speaks of relationship and of joy together, a party with God forever. And that is the feast of the new creation. The new creation will be a banquet forever with God. And this is the message to be proclaimed to every nation. Believer, this is our message. Believer, this is our mission. Will we get involved in God's story? You may have been invited to listen today by a friend. Uh, can I be so bold and hopefully not too awkward to say that that friend has done the most loving thing for you? Just think, if you knew the source of eternal life, would you withhold it from those you care about? You wouldn't, would you? It would be loving to do. And if you are just a listener today and just thinking about Jesus, why not turn today? Why not turn and receive forgiveness of sins and life with God forever? Let's pray together as we end. Father in heaven, thank you so much uh, for sending your son. Thank you for this amazing moment in history where the king has come and all of the hopes have been realised. Uh, we pray that you would uh, help us to see the, the wonder of the mission of being sent out by you, Jesus. Pray that you help us to rely on you, on your spirit. We can't do it on our own. Please help us not to preach ourselves, but to preach Jesus. And we thank you for the gift of repentance and forgiveness of sins. Thank you that it brings us back into relationship with you. Thank you, God, that you are ready and willing with open arms uh, to receive us uh, if we will turn to you. In Jesus' name, amen.